Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the host of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you? Welcome back again. Thank you. It's great to be back. Great to be in the cozy confines of the studio here nestled in Wormtown, Massachusetts. What do we got on tap for today, Tim? Yeah, well, even though you're back here in the studio, uh, you're not in this episode. This is the last uh, batch of episodes you, that is accurate. Are you, yeah. are you telling me that you did episodes without me? Well, yeah. I mean, I kind of had to. I didn't know how, how else to proceed as as uh, releasing episodes regularly without doing that. So I, apolog- I guess I apologize. I am pissed <laughs> so uh this one is uh with greg overacker i know you you like talking to greg and everything well a lot of good it did me here <laughs> <laughs> and he came into the studio and uh we sat down and had a great chat lance well i'm totally jealous and uh i'm just kidding though uh i am not pissed you uh you had to pick up the old gauntlet and run with it admirable job doing that and this interview with greg is phenomenal and the good news is that we have more interviews with greg coming up because he is just a uh, an overflowing well of stories yes and depending on what time you're listening to this episode right now we might be sitting with greg overacker in the crawl space studios talking to him for several more hours because we are sort of doing a series on bounty hunting with him and uh, we're not really sure where it's going to go, but this episode that we're, you're going to hear right now is a little bit about his life as a bounty hunter, why he got into it. About the last 20 minutes is one story um, about how he tracked someone down, and it is incredible. It is, it is stranger than fiction, and it's uh, it's just incredible that he actually did this. I don't know, and I told him today on the phone that I don't know anyone else who would have done that. Everything that he talks about, he delivers in such a such a matter-of-fact tone. By the time he's about a quarter of the way into his story, you realize that this is not at all where it was supposed to go or where you were expecting it to go. And I, I can't wait for people's reaction when they hear his stories. It's this, this uh, bounty hunter sort of series that we've been talking about doing was in the works. We were workshopping this for... I don't know, like a, a year or so now. He's he's surprisingly shy, and he's got these stories, and we're finally getting the opportunity to sit down and, and you know bang a few of these out for the audience, see how it goes. 
Yeah, and I think he's really a one-of-a-kind person. And uh, so I'm really curious on what you think out there. So give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. And uh, we are recording more with him, so we will be bringing you more of this. Hopefully you like it. And if you're on our social page or saw one of the latest feed drops that we did, you'll know that we're uh, we're doing a crime festival, Lance. We've partnered with our friends Jim and Nicole of Unsolved Magazine to bring our good listeners and the world at large the American Crime Festival in Wildwood, New Jersey, November 8th, 9th, and 10th, 2019, Lance. Yep, that's at the Wildwoods Convention Center. It's an incredible location right there on the boardwalk, so you get the ocean. You can get up in the morning, have yourself a cup of coffee, watch the sunrise over the Atlantic, and then you can take in some quality true crime content. We have a ton of guests, and one of the headliners is... Aphrodite Jones, and she is going to be debating Larry Pollard talking about the old owl theory in the Michael Peterson case. So that's awesome. Yeah, the show The Staircase from Netflix. Very controversial, and that that panel is going to be explosive. I cannot wait. And we got a bunch of other ones. Uh, Tim, you really want to uh, give the farm away on this. I uh, tend to hold things a little bit closer to the uh, proverbial chest. Yeah, well, Bill Thomas is coming. Bill Thomas is coming who we had on the show, he he blew our minds by calling our studio commodious. I thought he was talking about a, a it, it looked like a toilet, but it turns out that that meant it was very roomy and spacious, and he was very generous in offering his uh, compliments in that way. But his story is incredible. With his sister, it's incredible, and he's such an advocate. In fairness, I think he was being sarcastic when he called our studio commodious. Don't you dare. But, uh, yeah, he is a great advocate for the Colonial Parkway murders case, and his sister Kathy was killed in that case, they think, by maybe one or two killers. And uh, there is a new show that's coming out pretty soon on it. So uh, we're going to have Bill Thomas, and that's going to be wonderful. And we got an old buddy of ours making a return visit to the crawlspace world by coming to this festival Todd Matthews, the the co-founder of NamUs, who discovered Tent Girl, this is the original Citizen Detective. The OG Citizen Dick. Here he is, Todd Matthews, ladies and gentlemen. We've got him. He identified Tent Girl back before cell phones were a thing. So just imagine, imagine that. Imagine your Citizen Detecting, your Google and stuff. Back then, Google, Tim, like you said, it wasn't even a word. So that's going to be amazing to have him. I'm honored to have him and yep. a couple of new podcasters that we've just added. Marissa Jones of The Vanished, Emily Nestor of Mile Marker 181, and Stephen Pacheco of Trace Evidence. All your favorites coming to the American Crime Fest. Be there. So you can go to AmericanCrimeFest.com and you can buy your tickets. You can register for the weekend. There's also a VIP night that's going to be on the Friday before the festival begins. So that's November. November 8th, that's the VIP night. Then November 9th and 10th, that'll be filled with presenters, podcasters, and we'll have a little social mixer there on Saturday night. So just check out all of the information there. Contact us if you have any questions. And make sure you use the discount code CRIME. That's capitalized, case-sensitive crime for $50 off each ticket. Buy your tickets now. And it's a busy autumn for us, Lance. And we've also got a show in New York City in Brooklyn with True Crime Obsessed, our friends Patrick and Jillian, on October 5th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. So that's going to be an amazing show. There are links in the show notes. If anyone's ever seen True Crime Obsessed live show, they know that it's a crazy time. 
I fully anticipate being roasted to the point of no return. Tim, I don't know if you're nervous about it, but... They should be nervous about us roasting them. Oh, there we go. We're going to turn the tables, people. So, yeah, check that out at the Bell House. That's going to be a great time. Okay, so let us know what you think of this episode with Greg Overack. I really think you'll like it. Me and Lance are fascinated by Greg's stories and Greg's life and uh, really why he went into bounty hunting at all. So I hope you like it as much as we do, and let us know on social media. Follow us at CrawlSpacePod on Twitter and CrawlSpacePodcast on Instagram. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Crawl Space Studios, Greg Overacker. How are you, Greg? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. We uh, we are here today to uh, to speak with you about your life and career and uh, and talk about bounty hunting a bit. You're one of the few people I know that's interested in this. Really? Yeah. That's kind of crazy to me. It, it's uh, It's such an interesting job. I know basically nothing about it other than what I've heard from you. I've I've never even watched Dog the Bounty. The bounty hunter. Oh, really? Because I feel like that's what most people think when they when they hear bounty yeah. hunter. You know, yeah. Because he was odd. so out there with his look and everything. Like you know? a championship wrestle wrestler <laughs> that does it. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Over the years, my family rarely asked me about it. Superficially, my mom used to get worried when I left town. My dad would come to me and say, "Hey, your mother worries about you. you better call home and stuff like that." So I was young at the time, but. Every woman I've ever been involved with rarely asked me about it. Every uh, relationship? Yeah. Cause I mean, I've been with, with Becky for years, and she, she rarely asks. Yeah. She, uh, you know, superficially. Yeah. Like, what kind of questions? Just like, oh, you, you're working? Or, uh... It'll come up like if, I, if we're traveling somewhere and I say, oh, I've been here before. You know, why? Stuff like that. It's, it's strange when I travel now. I'll go through towns and I'll go, man, this looks familiar, and then it'll come back. Oh, I was here before. Yeah. I went through that down south one time and uh I was just floored because of where we were at and I was looking around, I was like, I've been here and I started telling the story and everybody just kinda walked away from me and I'm like, Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you would think people would be more interested in it. They're just not so much. I think it's, it's confusing weird. a little bit. Uh yeah. like the whole process of of the job. Even my buddies you would think all your buddies would be like, you know, I was 26, 7, 8, 9 years old doing this. And they yeah. were like, I'd come home and we'd go out partying and stuff. And or they'd come over to my house and did ask superficial questions. When did you get back? Yeah. You know, how to go. That's it. Not like, no. how'd you uh, tackle the offender? Yeah. <laughs> it ended up being where I would kind of get like, it was like an emotional island kind of thing where... You know, I kind of started thinking, like, I, I kind of got what co- cops went through yeah. on a smaller basis. Sure. Because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I'd come home, and I was just like, you know, whatever happened, happened. You know, and if it was something wild, I didn't have anybody to just express that to. So yeah. it was weird. So when did you get involved in it? I couldn't tell you what year it was, but I was probably 26 or, 26 or 7. And... uh I just, I wanted to start a business and I was looking into starting to process serving business and stuff. And I ended up, I knew a guy who knew a bondsman and the guy needed help and he was local. 
and uh, kind of got into it through there. And then I went and got some training, and then I joined uh, an organization, which is uh, was a national organization, which was weird. This this guy who you, you can look him up. Uh, his name is Bob Burton. He's he, he was touted. He was before Dog. He was touted as the world's best bounty hunter kind of guy. He was kind of a self promoter kind of guy. The weird thing is, is when you hear him, if you watch his videos and you. And I worked with him once, and I spent some time with him on a few different occasions. He's he's one of these guys that sounds like he's feeding you a line of shit all yeah. the time, but he's not. He he had shit to back it up. And if you're familiar, if, if people are into this, they're kind of familiar. There was a, a guy named Ralph Thorson who was like the, the iconic bounty hunter of all time in the United States. And Steve McQueen made a movie about him. It was Steve McQueen's last movie and LeVar Burton's first movie. Okay. Steve McQueen died after that. But, and Thorson was in the movie as a cameo, as a bartender. But if you read about this guy, he was just a really phenomenal guy. He had like 13,000 arrests or something like that. It was just amazing. Uh, uh, interesting guy, well-educated guy. Um, specifically moved to Los Angeles area to do this because of Bail Bond Row. You know, you'd walk for blocks and blocks of just Bail Bond companies. Right. And um, <clears throat> everyone respected him. But, you know, Burton worked with him and had pictures with him and stuff like that. And he was a, he was an interesting guy, too. Um, so Burton, you know, I think he was getting older and stuff. And in order to kind of have an income, and you know, because it's kind of a young man's game. You get to a certain age, you're like, I don't want to leave home anymore. I don't want to be chasing all the time. Yeah, I can stuff. imagine. So he's, he started a school. And it was like a three- or four-day course where you would go and pay X amount of dollars, and he would train you. And, it was good for what, you know, to help guys out that were starting. And he started this national organization. So they would put out newsletters and it would tell you do's and don'ts and things going on in the insurance in industry because that's basically what you're doing is you're working for the insurance agency. And um, covered a lot of laws and the changing laws too because when I started out, I would leave state and you had to research those laws. Now, it seems easy by today's standards, but back there's no internet. Mm. So, you know, you had to do the footwork. When I advertised, speaking of no internet, when I advertised, I would order phone books from all over the country, and I would get these phone books, and I'd just tear out the bail bond section. So then I would send out envelopes with ads in them, mark them off on them, and save them so I knew who I sent them to and who I didn't. It was a lengthy process. Now you just go on the internet and... You would send like your card to all the yeah. the bail bonds companies. Rolodex the... cards. Rolodex cards. Rolodex. Right. Remember Rolodex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in in the hopes that someone from a different state yep. would would say I have a fugitive in in this guy's neighborhood and now I know this guy because he mailed me something. Yeah. Okay. I would blanket entire states. I would do a state at a time, and um, I would get like a one to four percent return. No, that's pretty but good. The yeah. idea is you advertise to other states so that when those skips come into your your state, your area, they don't want to drive up here to get them. They'll hire you. You pick them up, take them down to them, and they pay, and then you drive home. Uh, if that's the way it happens to work out, which sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, <clears throat> if if you're you know watching this show and you're interested, <laughs> you can look at YouTube or whatever and look up Bob Burton. He was an interesting guy. He he uh, he passed away. I can't remember a few years ago, and he had told me one time that his his father was a chemist, and that he invented Mister Clean, the, oh, yeah. the detergent Mister Clean. And yeah. I'm like, 
what? Again, I'm like, this guy's full of shit. He's just pulling my leg, you know? It was in his obituary. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was an interesting guy. He he was an insurance agent, and and he just wanted some adventure in his life. And he was a former Marine, too. Huh. Um, he, he wasn't a service. I think it was Marines. But he... Um, he decided that this is what he wanted to do, and I think he went out and reached out to Thorson, and he, he got into it, and he got really popular. And, um, you know, I don't know about all the claims he made. I didn't know him that well. But I did know guys that knew him very well. Um, so I ended up working for a guy in New Jersey by the name of Scott Churchill. And Scott's probably one of the best bounty hunters in the country. You haven't heard of him because he doesn't go on television shows or do anything like that stuff he's just no dog key. dog the bounty hunter is the best in the country obviously <laughs> well it depends on who you talk to <laughs> you know, when, when dog the bounty hunter gained real a lot of notoriety when he was when he arrested andrew luster who andrew luster i think that was his name he was an heir to a some kind of a cosmetic fortune and so I, I don't think he was an heir, whereas he got, you know, zillions of dollars, but they, they had him on some kind of a stipend where he got monthly, he got money, so he didn't have to work and stuff like that. He lived beachfront. So he had uh, brought these girls back to his house, these dates, and they would wake up. They had obviously been drugged and stuff like that, and they found out that he had been sexually assaulting him. So anyway, he, uh, he ended up with an ankle bracelet on, waiting for a court date, and he bolted and um, Dog went after him, and that's kind of how he gained his notoriety, most of his notoriety. Actually, he might, I think he already had the show and stuff, but hmm. he went down to Mexico, and he grabbed him. Someone had called him and said, hey, I saw him at his resort. And, of course, remember I told you people are creatures of habit? Yeah. He was, like, living in a bungalow by the water, just like he was in California. Well, he grabbed him, and they were going to take him to an airport and put him on a plane. There's no bounty hunting in Mexico. The laws of the United States don't follow you into other countries. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to abide by their laws. So you, so you got arrested. So you, oh, a dog did? Yeah, he oh, got okay. thrown in jail. There's there's pictures of him pretty bummed out sitting in a jail cell. Because it's just kidnapping at that point. It's kidnapping, absolutely. <laughs> so whether he's a fugitive or not. So they actually, I came across an article and they were asking Bob Burton. You know, Bob had had kind of promoted himself a little bit, but he got real popular. Like I said, I don't, I, I don't know. He he knew his business, definitely knew his business. But they asked him about dog, and he said, "This is at, you know, novice one hundred and one. He doesn't know what he's doing." Yeah. And so a lot of guys in the industry are pissed at him. They they, they say, we don't conduct ourselves that way. It's not right. professional, and a lot of stuff he does. I don't have a opinion either way much. But um, Burton said, "What did he think he was going to do? First of all, he wasn't out on bail." The way the only way a bounty hunter has any authority is if he's given a contract, which is basically a power of attorney from the bail bondsman to act on his behalf. Mm-hmm. The reason behind that is if 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 you're out on bail, um, your bail bondsman may not be capable of coming after you to get you. Um, so they allow for that so that they can hire someone to go and do it. So as long as you carry those documents. And in most states, it's a copy of the the agreement, the bond agreement with the signatures and everything, and um, a copy of the warrant, 
and things like that. And, you know, most citizens can't just walk into a police station and get a warrant. That would come from the bondsman. But anyway, in Mexico, and he wasn't out on bail, he had no legal authority to, to grab him at all. Yeah. So I did see an interview with him one time, and he said, they said, how did you get out of this? How did you get out of that Mexican jail? And he said, a lot of money. <laughs> so he didn't make any money. It cost yeah. him a fortune. But then he goes on the show, on yeah. his own show, and, you know, the rape victims call him up and cry on the phone, and he says, I love you, and I'm glad I could help you and all that other good stuff. So it makes for good TV. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to say. Maybe a, more of a publicity stunt yeah, than anything. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, again, most of the guys that were hardcore in this business that you'll see that work every day or, or they're full-time, which isn't – it's not rare, but it's not real common, um, they conduct themselves differently than that. So why did uh, did you start doing this? Adventure. Really? I hated my job when I was a kid. What was I mean, your job? Uh, you know, I prepared poorly. Uh, I got out of school, and I just figured – I always was confident, and I said, whatever I do, I'm going to be good at it and this and that. And I didn't want to go to school. I ended up going to college later on in life, but um, I said, I'm going to do this just to – I worked in a lumber yard for a while. I would I would be working, and guys would say, uh, you know, oh, man, I can't wait till it's 5 o'clock, or oh, it's only 2 o'clock, or whatever. And I'd be thinking, you're wishing your life away, mm. you know, because you hate your job, you know, and just, I said, I got to get out of here. So in those jobs, I would be, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was a bad worker or anything, but I just didn't, my heart wasn't in it. When I went out and worked for myself, you know, that's when I made money, and I, I did well. When I started my process serving business, you know, I got, I've been doing it for so long now. I have all the attorneys in my area that I work for in, in out-of-state companies and companies from New York City and stuff like that. And um, through that, you just learn things from the legal field and you, you know, become friends with those people. The district attorney where I live, prior to being a district attorney, married my ex-wife and I, hmm. you know, stuff like that. When I went into court uh, to do with my pistol permit, um, the, I had to stand up in front of the judge and answer a bunch of questions. And um, he asked the district attorney, you know, do you have a problem with this? And he, he just knew me. He knew I wasn't, uh, you know, some goof trying to get a gun. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. The judge in my where I live actually set legal precedent. He he wasn't allowing, when, when officers retired, they could no longer carry their weapon. They would carry it to like target practice and stuff, but they couldn't open carry or anything. Like that. I have a, I have an open carry. I can carry my oh, weapon really? concealed, also. Yeah. Wow. And I, I'm not a huge gun guy, but I, you know, it's just necessary tool. Right. You know. So what did your your family and your friends think when you transitioned to this uh, this new job? Were they uh, like you said they didn't ask many questions? No. Were they, like, nervous? Did they understand the danger associated with it? My brother goes, that doesn't even exist. What are you <laughs> that's, talking about? That's another, I thought I was bullshitting them. <laughs> I think it's from, like, the Old West. Like, yeah. I feel like I feel like every Western's got a bounty hunter, yeah. but I don't know about too many current movies. I'm like, no, it's it's a real thing. He's like, <laughs> whatever. And then I disappeared and came back with some money in my pocket, and he's like, holy shit. Um, I don't think anybody believed me, and I don't think anybody really took it seriously, and you know, even now, my friends don't really ask me a whole lot about it, but um, they know that I've paid a mortgage and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I paid child support for years and lived alone in a home and supported it. And I've been there 20-something years. And they, 
Just figure the money's coming from somewhere. Yeah. You know. So, so they believe you that uh, that you're doing that. They just yeah. Uh, I just I don't think they have a concept of certain stuff. I, I think you're probably right. Do you think they just like accept is, accept you as having like this side that they don't even want to know? Yeah, about? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I have I have a I have a friend who the last interest he has is anything to do with crime. This is, and I'm and he's a big sports guy. And I'm always like, you can sit for an entire Sunday and watch football. It's a whole day. Eat and drink beer and watch football all day long. You wake up Monday morning, that has no effect on your life. Nothing. It's just purely (laughs) entertainment in your face. But crime affects you, affects the people around you. I don't know one person that hasn't been affected by drugs, Mm -hmm. alcohol, worse, robbery, you know, people stealing from it. It affects everybody. And on a larger scale, of course, it does too. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So then tell me what what is a typical day in your work day like? Now or then? Uh give me give me then first and then now. <laughs> then um I did it on and off. I did it on and off where for a long time where I would go out and do a job and then come home and I had all my process serving business that I would go do and it kept me busy, and, and then I would get a call, and I, you know, in the evenings I put together ads and throw them out, and as I could, and and uh, I'd get calls that didn't materialize into jobs and stuff like that. But I was pretty busy. I was probably doing one every week and a half or something like that, um, two weeks. And there's some travel time there and stuff like that. But th- the nice thing about it was, if I went out on a job and it took three or four days, I'd come home, crash for a day or something. But then I could do what I wanted. I could go to my daughter's, you know, school activities. I yeah. could go shopping in the middle of the day. I go to a doctor's appointment. I could putter around the house. I could go sit on my back deck and have beers. I could, you know, and then the next job would come up. And there's a little pre-planning before you leave the house because back then, you know, everything was done by phone and home phone and stuff like that, and calling contacts and call the local police stations wherever they were and ask around because usually you'd get some. You know, a lot of times you'd. Not a lot of times, but some of the time you'd call up and they'd say, oh, he's locked up. Mm-hmm. And you would get a smaller percentage, but if you found him locked up and got proof so that the bondsman could get off the job, get off the bond, you'd still get paid. Um, but it was a great way of living. The problem was after a while, and I did it full time for about two years, the problem was that after a while you just get sick of, I think that comes with age, you get sick of driving and just, being on the road and you want to be home and you want to be with your girlfriend you want to, you know what i mean yeah and so it came a time about oh probably eight years ago where i i stopped completely and then um i would do them for locals i did a few in like utica and stuff like that if i didn't have to go drive to mm-hmm. pennsylvania or whatever you know yeah think about it when you were young that was an adventure <laughs> sure like, woohoo you know so how many arrests would you say you've made I don't even know. Probably 
three, four hundred. Okay. I don't know that. You know, you talk about guys like Burton and them. Burton was had thousands under his belt. Yeah. Papa Thorson had thirteen thousand or something. I couldn't even guess. I'd have to figure it up. But, um, but it's not like it's not like you just show up in town and there's a sign and you go, you know, you go follow the sign and pick up the person. Right, right. You have to find the person. It can get convoluted. Yeah, really convoluted. So what's that you can like? end up in totally different states. I had a job where I went to uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, one time, and I ended up in Patterson, New Jersey. Before I really had spent much time in Patterson, New Jersey, and um. It, it's time consuming and it costs money and it's you know and I was a young guy I didn't have a lot of money I had a mortgage I had child support I had bills and uh, but I did it I figured it out um, that's why guys that aren't you know guys that aren't good at it that can't find people that's the key if you you know you can be a lot of things but if you can't find people then you're done you're gonna go out of the business so how would you find people literally back then a lot of it was knocking on doors yeah you know and it in when we got into repos and stuff like that too a lot of it the best thing to do is just take that reference sheet and start knocking on doors we would have a problem where and it was always a discussion among the group that i worked with is that bondsman would take these applications and it would have you know your mother father sister brother and, and then it would have your address and all this information, your employment and all this other crap and friends as reference and stuff. Because information is everything if you're going to go find this person. But the bonds will never check it. So he'd hand it to us. Everything would be bad on it. Nothing was true on it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the guys that were good enough at it and knew that they might lose their shirt would s- sit there with the person's or relative or whoever was bonding them out They'd go to the jail. They'd have him figure it out. He'd go back to the office, fill it out. He'd go back to the office, make the calls, go back and say, try again. You know, oh, really? yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, the guy wow. wanted to get out of jail. He'd fill yeah. it out right, you know. So he'd just keep checking it till it was proper information. But that's the best way to find people because when people are that, when people are committing crimes on a regular basis. And, and when you talk to these big bail bondsmen where they're in a city and the, they're bonding the same people over and over the years and their sisters and their brothers and their parents. And when you're that much of an asshole, <laughs> you always have a Judas. Yeah. Someone's always going to be mad at you. And you, they stole from them or they did this to them or whatever. So that stuff is really important. Yeah. So so someone will always turn on the person you're yeah, looking for. And see, you know where he is. He's gotcha. I've, I've had jobs work out like that where I, I never even met the person that I picked up. Well, I didn't pick him up. Um the guy I work with now, Robert Nowak, he's uh, he's my business partner now. And we just do the process serving business. But over the years, he and I did a few together. And um, one of them was for a local guy. And, and we went to a house, and what it was was this, this, this kid that jumped bail, his mother's boyfriend. They had lived together at one point. And the mother and the son, he jumped bail, and they, they left town. First stop I made, knocked on his door. He comes to the door, and I said, I'm so-and-so, and I want to talk to you about so-and-so. He goes, I'll fucking tell you right where he is. <laughs> I go, really? He goes, yeah. And he was down south. They had called him for some reason, said, oh, we're staying at so-and-so's house, and then we're going to keep going on farther down south and stuff, but we'll be here till Friday or whatever. And he just basically said, here it is. Here's the address. You get there before Friday, they will be right in that house. <laughs> I called, wow. the, called the police down there and got a detective on the phone and said, here's the deal, and don't. The kid... I had this huge problem with police for the longest time where if I did that, because it happened on more than one occasion, they'd go knock on the door and the person would go out the back door. Right. I'm like, how many times does this have to happen? So I, the guy thought I was insulting him. I said, 
make sure someone's covering the back door. Yeah. He's like, okay, sure enough. He called me and he said, we got him. He said, uh, I went around the back and my guy knocked on the front door and he ran right out the back into my arms. <laughs> Every time. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's just the car too, seeing the police car. Yeah. That, yeah. That probably doesn't bolt. help. But, yeah. but you'd be shocked how many times they go to the door and knock on the door and the guy just walks out the back door. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so I never even met the guy. Wow. And I got paid. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, so you've sent us some some of your writings. You uh, you are writing, uh, I, I think, a, a book. Uh, sort of, you've sort of got a I, rough draft out there, I guess. Yeah, I, I I used to write just because I enjoyed it, and I haven't in a few years. But I wrote like eight or nine chapters for a book. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the writing is great, and the stories are incredible. And there's one that that Lance and I read a few months ago, and we've kind of been talking to you about uh, coming down here to to tell us this story um, for months now. Uh, so th- this one is called "Chasing Dragons by Moonlight." Do you want to? Uh, you mind going through this? Uh? Yeah, that I I you know I wrote that just because I, I think it was out of boredom and stuff like that. Do, do something constructive and kind of therapy and i you know i was kind of getting out of it. i'd been out of it for a while at least full time and stuff so it was fun to write and um you start realizing that like people when they hear these stories and not too many have heard this i actually called scott scott churchill my employer to make sure that i could talk about certain stuff because he's and i i would never do that without running it by him but yeah um People appreciate the stories for the re- other reasons than I do, which is funny. <clears throat> and when I tell a story, it doesn't sound the same as it does in writing. Because when you write it down, you know, you remember all the little details and little things that happen and stuff. But that was uh, that was different. Most most of the jobs you get in that business, have probably 70% of them, you go knocking the door and they answer the door. And, that, and you, when you brought up Doug... I watched that show a few times, and I'm not putting him down. I don't know much about him, but um, there's such a thing as if a bondsman knows you're going to leave town, or he gets wind you're going to leave town. They don't. Ha- you don't have to have jumped bail. They can just go pick you up because they fear that you're going to leave. Certain states are different, but so they'll go over to your house and say, "Tim, you know you're going back to jail." What do you mean I'm going back to jail? I didn't. I didn't skip bail. I, I, my court date's not for another three weeks. Well. We heard you're going to get on a bus. Oh, I'm not going to get on a bus. I'm not going anywhere. And they'll just take you back to jail. Yeah. Then they're off the hook. Yeah. So I watched his show a couple of times, and that's what he was doing. And they were crashing houses. I mean, you know, kicking in doors and screaming and surrounding the house and everything. And the guy's on the couch going, what? You know, I haven't done anything. I, I'm, I'm sitting here on my couch watching cartoons. Right. So I thought that was kind of weird. But you run into all these different so, so instances. So... When something like this happened, it was just really different. So that was out of New Jersey, and uh, the, the bondsman knew a bondsman I worked for, and, and he had said, well, I got a guy in upstate New York. And he said, well, this kid is is heading for the border. He's heading for Canada. That's what his family says. And the family owns property up it's kind of a. It's on the Canadian border. It's like by Messina, if you're familiar. It's there's a there's a uh, reservation, Indian reservation up there and stuff. Okay. But you're getting up there. That's north of the Adirondacks. Pretty you know? pretty far up there. Yeah, it's on a waterway coming out of Lake Ontario and stuff like that. Okay. It, but it's sounds uh, serene. Yeah, you, you. I drove through the Adirondacks to get there. It's a 
it's a long ride. Okay, but so a mountainous region too. Oh yeah. No, well you get up in that area, you know, it's it's different. I don't know about there but I mean that's farther north in the Adirondacks, but the the weather in the Adirondacks can be nasty. But yeah. anyway, so when they said they were in a huge huff, they have to have them yesterday. So they overnighted me the package and trying to explain everything to me and tell me where the property is now. This is back before, you know, you can go on your phone and just follow it to wherever you're going or anything like that. You, you, I literally had, you know, the atlas with, it was for the whole state where it would have street maps and stuff. And But if I left the state or if I got somewhere where I thought I needed a different map, you know, you'd go in any gas station, there'd be fold-out maps there. So, and that's the way we used to do that. Keep and, it in your passenger side. Right. And and so you said that they overnighted you a package. So yeah. it sounds like the beginning of a spy movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was always, well, you have to have the documents you carry. Okay. So they're so your documents or they it's were the like contract? The, yeah, it's the contract that the, 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 the skip signs, you know. Uh-huh. Because when they sign that, they're agreeing to be seized at any time. Okay. In any state. You're allowing them to break and enter your home, me. Once I get my, I have to have my power of attorney. So they're agreeing to have their vehicle searched, um, all kinds of stuff. And then they send you the warrants and then they send you their history if they have it and stuff like that. Information on the person. Yeah. He had been with this bonding company for a long time, so they knew him. Yeah. Yeah. And they knew him as a uh, sort of a bad dude. Yeah. And he was a big guy with a big tattoo on his back. He, He was a twin. And this uh, Scott ran into this too once. Scott ran it, had a job where the twins, one of them had a tattoo on his head. So they literally shaved the guy's head to look at his tattoo. Because he'd say, I'm my brother, I'm my brother. He goes, yeah, you know, take it, take your hair off. But this guy, he said, you're going to know the difference. He goes, first of all, it'll if you find him, it's him because his brother's not going to run up there. But he has a tattoo on his whole back now of a dragon. That's how you'll know. It's definitely him. So I take the directions and I drive up there. It's the middle of God awful nowhere. What time of year? It's like in the fall. And uh, I had to find a, a, a road that eventually turned seasonal. And then it basically turns into like a path. And the path goes out eventually to this family's hunting cabin. And the cabin... You know, it was a thing, I think, where their parents or parents of parents had used it as a hunting camp, and then the generations after just didn't want didn't deal with it. They still own the property. So so very secluded cabin yeah, in the woods. Yeah, it was middle of fucking nowhere. So I get up there. I find this little road. You know, they told me what road to go on, and you find this little road. It'll run off into a seasonal road or whatever. So I ditch my car, state land, and I just I had, like, a hunting vest. So I just dressed like a thermal shirt and a sweatshirt and this vest because the vest had a ton of pockets and I put protein bars and water and shit like that. It's like an orange vest for no, no. it's like okay. a brown one. Oh, okay. I don't hunt actual animals, so I don't right. know, but I bought one. Yeah. Because it was cool when I'd go fishing. Maybe that's what it's for. It had oh, tons okay. of pockets. And, yeah. You know, things in the back and stuff. So I had a knife, a handgun, protein bars, water shit duffel bag with you know a couple things in it i had uh those rain little ponchos but you can put them over keep it keep you warm and shit you know the the reflective ones and stuff so uh 
you know, the guy, they didn't know how far in the cabin was. They just said, you know, you're going to have to walk in until you see it on an adjacent hill and all this shit. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> how to get in, in as soon as I started walking. I'm a real fan of that. You know, I'm like, I shouldn't have taken this job. So, but it was, to me at the time, it was a lot of money. So I walked and I walked and I walked and I, it seemed like I was walking in circles. I got a little lost. The, the trail just petered out. I mean, it was just like a seasonal kind of road, if you know, if you're familiar with what that is. And then, then it was just kind of like a trail and then it was nothing. But it, eventually I saw it. It's just a shit little, uh, shack on the side of a hill so i got within like 25 yards of it and on the side i was on was just a fireplace you know the outdoor part of it Mm -hmm. and there's no windows or anything so if you went around the front of the cabin you looked at it there was a door there was a window and a window on either side so i sat there and i waited there's a book bag on the front of it obviously somebody somebody's there there's a book bag out on the front of the thing lights on inside there's no power oh, there's okay. no nothing i think it was just an empty cabin you know okay so he comes out and he lights a cigarette and i just sat there and watched him so he sat there for a little while and uh you know i, I always thought how, how does he think he's going to get into canada when you get up in that area, there's a, there's a waterway there, and there's all these little islands and stuff like that. But it's not easy. easy. I don't know how the hell he thought he would do it. That reservation is known for human trafficking, or was, and for, uh, I think it's Hogansburg, known for bringing weed down from uh, Canada and stuff real bad and stuff. Mm-hmm. So eventually, you know, it starts getting dark out and stuff, and I'm thinking, fuck. Yeah, what were you thinking? Like, how were you? It was late in the day by the time I got up there. You so you you said you were wondering how he was going to get into Canada, but I'm wondering what your plan was to get him. No plan. No plan. <laughs> <laughs> no plan. Not much of a plan. Yeah. So, you know, that's another thing too. I I wasn't some worldly guy. I was a kid, you know, and I figured, uh, point a gun at him, he'll come with me. You know, <laughs> that, that's the kind of concept you have. Oh, television, everything works out well. You know. So he went inside, started getting dark, and uh, he started a fire. You could see smoke coming out of the chimney and stuff. It was just a little shit cabin. It was probably as big as this room, you know. <laughs> so I waited, and I waited, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to sleep next to a tree or something, you know. Started getting dark, started getting dark. It's getting cold. But the moon was out really bright. I mean, you could, I could see well. I was shocked. And it was really creep, kind of creepy, but I was glad. So next to the cabin, I mean, at some point, there must have been someone must have done some kind of maintenance on it, but there was a wooden ladder there. So I waited till it got dark enough, and I put my ladder up, and I took my book bag, and I went up and put it over the flue. Over so that so chimney? blocked the chimney. I had worked with my brother. My brother had a chimney sweep business and um, kind of understood yeah. you know, how flues work. But... Uh, <laughs> So I just walked away, and I went around and stood in front of the cabin. I was probably, probably 40 feet. I'm really bad at distances like that. But it was woods, you know, so I was standing in the woods looking at the cabin, and I'm, I'm thinking it's comical, but at the same time, the tension's kind of building because he had lanterns going. Uh-huh. So you could kind of see light. You know, it was lit up. I mean, it was just a room with 
two windows and a door. Right. It's almost like a stage at that point yeah. where you can see right in. Yeah. He's lit. And I could see him moving no around, even though the light was kind of throwing weird from his from his uh, from the lanterns. But I could at least see him. He couldn't see me. He still had no idea you were there. No. So waited and I waited. I'm thinking, oh man, his tension's starting to build. You know, he's going to come out of there and he's going to think he's got something wrong with the chimney, and I'm going to have to do something. I have to think of something. You know. <laughs> he's, he's got to have a fucking gun or something. The kid was wild. He's got to have a gun. So uh, he comes out. He opens the door, and it was fucking comical because it's like I could see him well enough to shoot him if I had to, <laughs> which I wasn't gonna. But I could see him as a form because of the moonlight and stuff, and uh, and you could see smoke coming out when he opened the door, and he's bitching. He knew I had something wrong with the chimney, so I started yelling at him. <laughs> you, know, no, you know, don't move this, that, and the other thing. And it, and I couldn't see him well, but I could see him, like, freak out because someone was yelling at him. I mean, he's in the middle of fucking nowhere, man. I, how, who's yelling at me? And uh, <laughs> so he goes back in the cab, slams the door. You see him darting around in there, you know. I'm thinking, oh, fuck. I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Eventually, he comes to the door uh, or the window on my left, and he starts pulling off shots. And you could hear him going through the trees and stuff, you know, hitting branches and knocks and stuff. So he's thinking, shooting. Oh fuck yeah! He's he just, shooting in the distance, just randomly. He didn't. He didn't know where I was, and I wasn't. I was behind a tree, just standing there watching. So I'm watching him. He's kind of scrolling around in the cabin. Comes to the other side, does the same thing. You can hear rounds going off. So I could tell. I wasn't, didn't want to hurt him or anything. I could tell he was on the side of the cabin, so I planked this side of the cabin a few times. When it's that quiet and there's nothing around, it's fucking loud. It sounds loud to you, you know? So I'm thinking, he's, what am I going to do? He's, how do I get him out of here? Is he just going to sit in there and do this all night? And the fucking guy took off and he ran like a deer, like a gazelle, at an angle. And it's hard to see him. I mean, I could see him in the moonlight. But he ran like hell and he was gone. He was in the woods. And I thought, fucking, how did you, how, how do you get out of this so easy? You know, yeah, yeah. My, my mouth's open. I'm watching him. He's gone. So you kind of had him trapped or cornered. I yeah, guess. Yeah, I thought I did. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so he was firing at you. Yeah, there was no though... back door on this little shit cabin. Right. You know, it's like a shed. <laughs> and he goes, he's gone. So I could hear him crashing around in the woods. So I, I just followed him. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, how? There's no way I'm gonna be able to follow this guy through the woods. It wasn't that difficult. I could hear him. When he would start moving, I could hear him breaking shit. When he first went in, it was awful. It sounded like he was just terrified. He was crashing through shit. Running into trees and stuff. Oh, yeah. He could, you know, he you could see you could see to get through the woods with the moonlight and stuff, but I wouldn't want to be running. Yeah. You know, you run into a tree head first. Or you don't know where your footing is, if you're going to fall or whatever. So anyway, he, uh, I followed him all night. And it was real slow moving and everything. And he would stop. And he would stop for long periods of time. But I thought, if he walked away and I didn't hear him, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do. He's just he's just going to walk away. But then a little while later, I'd hear him. So he would stop for just like to sit down for a few minutes? He would stop. I would just, you wouldn't hear him anymore. So he was trying to hear he was you probably, maybe? Yeah, probably. He was probably, I'm a real bad judge of distance. You're probably 50, 60 feet in front of me. Jesus, it and sounds then, like so close. It's pretty close. And then, <laughs> and he could hear me. I yeah. know he could. Because you can't, 
when you're walking in the dark like that, you can't avoid stepping on stuff. You, you sure. know, you're going to make noise. And it's quiet. And uh, so eventually he got to an area where it was, the best thing he could have done was turn around and come towards me. Yeah. Because it would have freaked me out and I would have left. I would have tried to get away. But he got to a field, he was kind of a little below me, and I could see him as a form, you know. And I watched him walk across the field, and I kind of tried to keep up with him a little bit on the side. And there was trees here and there amongst it and stuff. But eventually when he got to the other side, I heard him go through a creek, and I thought, oh, man. Because once he got in the water, I thought, he's going to hear me. He's just got to wait on the other side when he hears me go through the water. He just shoot or something. So I ended up getting up to the creek, and I'm watching. I saw him down the creek as a kind of a form. You know, I couldn't see him well, but I thought, well, I better just do a run of I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I couldn't do that now, by the way, at this age. Yeah. But it was like up to my knees and I ran across about 30 feet wide. I ran across it. So you just like sprinted. Oh yeah. Slippery rocks. You know, you're just running, doing the best you can and stuff. Water's kicking up. It sounds like it sounded so loud considering, and I'm just waiting for gunshots, you know, nothing. So I'm thinking, does he, can he not see me or, is he just scared or does he not have any ammo or does he doesn't want to waste it? So as the night went on and I'm thinking the worst part about it was I was thinking I, I, there's no one to call. You can, I don't have a phone. And you're out of range anyway. Yeah. Miles and, from There anyone, was no right? phone. I didn't have a phone at the time. There was no first responders. There's no flashing lights. There's no street lights. There's no nothing. You know, you just did some desperate dude. So eventually he got into an area that was like, it was flat and I could see him. It was starting to get a little bit light out that first, first gray of morning, you know, and I would see him and he looked like he was exhausted. He was really tired. So I would call out to people, you know, he's heading your way and I was <laughs> yeah, okay. fucking with him. Wait a second. So this, this was late now at this point, like, oh, this is all night break. So you had yeah. followed him for hours. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, through the woods, through the cold Adirondacks. Yeah, trying for trying to not get uh, the tables turned on you, so to speak. It, the funny thing was, is I was tired, I was exhausted, but I'm I knew tired just listening. To I this. knew it was coming. I had I'm like munching protein <laughs> bars and you know stuff like that. You know, I was a little younger than him. He didn't know it was coming. He ran out of there. I didn't know how well he was dressed or anything. He had a handgun. That's all I knew. Yeah. But he was fucking tired. When I saw him walking, I, he was meandering along like he was exhausted. And I go, you know, Billy's coming to your way, you know, and just keep doing that shit to him. And he could tell he was getting fucking spooked. So <laughs> oh God. you can hear the birds start chirping and shit. Morning's coming out, you know. Birds start chirping, starting to get lighter, starting to get lighter. Not a big morning person, by the way. <laughs> and um, so we ended up walking down to... I, he just kind of disappeared, and I realized he'd walked over a hill. So I get up there, and he had gone down a hill, and it was a gravel road. So I kind of got partway down the hill, and I was watching him, standing behind a tree watching him, and he walked out into the middle of the road, and he just laid down on his back. <laughs> he just laid there. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? He's tired, you know. So I worked my way down to where I was in the tree line, and I go, what are you going to do now? He said, I'm done fucking done and, I, and he, I could see his hands he didn't have a gun but I kept thinking he's gonna try to do something yeah I'm gonna get close maybe he's laying on the gun or something right nope he was done so I just walked up to him 
He's fucking laying there. What are you, you going to do? So I handcuffed him. Got ready to leave, and he's looking around. He says, come on, let's go. And I'm thinking, what the, I don't know where the fuck to go. I don't know where I am. Yeah. So I'm thinking, all right, if I go this way and I just keep turning left, I'll get back. I'm trying to make sense of this, right? Or if I go this way and I just keep turning right, I'll get back to my car eventually. It seemed to make sense, you know. And he goes, well, you know, wait for the others. And I go, ain't no others, dude. It's just me. And he was shocked. He was still looking up at the trees. It's just you. It's just me, dude. He was pissed, too. And we get up the road. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know how far I got to walk. And a car pulled up with a guy and a kid in it. And he's like, everything all right? <laughs> you know, you're walking up. This ch- I had long hair at the time, real long hair at night. Walking a dude up the road with handcuffs on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you have a gun pointed at him at this nah, point? No. Nah. Yeah. He's he's given up. Like, yeah, he's uh, in handcuffs. So he's he not gonna, trying he to get, struggle. He's exhausted and he's got handcuffs <laughs> on. You know, he's been walking all night through the woods. He's got oh, scrapes God. and cuts all over his face and shit in his arms. So the guy goes, well, let me take my kid home, drop him off. I'll come back and I'll give you a ride. He asked me where my car was and I told him and he said, all right, yeah, you just keep going around. But he goes, it's quite a walk. He goes, you'd be walking for a while. <laughs> and he never came back. Oh, wow. And then another guy came along. Did he call the police? You no. Think? No. Just never came back. He probably got home and his wife probably said, the fuck, you're going to go help him. <laughs> that you know? sounds insane. What the hell are you talking about? Somebody walking somebody down the street with handcuffs. Did you tell him you were a bounty hunter? Yeah. I, yeah. I told him what was going on. He seemed shit. to believe you at yeah, the time? Yeah. Yeah. He was okay with it, but I could just imagine he got home and his wife goes, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? So another guy came along and he ended up giving us a ride a little ways. He knew where he was fine with it. I showed him my ID and stuff like that. But that was just that. That was different in a learning experience because it was, like I said, most people you go to their door and they open the door, and um, and the other thing, the, the just huge realization that there's nobody here to help you. Yeah. There's nothing. There's not even a street like, you know, a lot of people talk about liking to camp and do this and do that and do the other thing and. But a lot of those people that I talk to, they go to campsites where there's people 40 feet away or something. You know, you're you're out in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face kind of gig. And there's no help if you fall on your knife or roll down a hill or something. You know, that's, right. if you that's, twisted an ankle. Yeah. It was yeah. over. And I didn't, I don't know what the hell I was thinking I was going to do. But I was young, you know, and it was, it was the adventure I was looking for, I guess. Quite an adventure. And then so... Uh, there's sort of a punchline at the end of this story where you were at a, uh, a cookout years later with uh, your friend Scott Churchill. So, yeah, this was a few years later at least. And um, we go to this cookout and it's like <laughs> bail bondsmen, PIs, COs, you know, all these different people. They all knew each other. And, and I was sitting next to a corrections officer and we're eating and I'm talking and I realized he worked where this guy would have been locked up, where I thought he would have been locked up. And I said, hey, do you know him? And he goes, yeah, I know him. He's dead. He's dead? What do you mean he's dead? Because he wasn't that old of a guy, you know? He said he had thyroid, some kind of cancer, thyroid cancer or something. But he goes, he was a fucking nut. I go, yeah? He goes, yeah. He told. He used to tell me all this wild shit. I go, yeah? He goes... One time he told me a bounty hunter lit his house up because he knew we were bounty hunters. He was telling me a bounty hunter lit his house on fire and chased him through the woods all night. <laughs> I was standing there looking at him. I go, well, I didn't light the house on fire. I just... 
covered the chimney up, and he he didn't know what to say. He like had food in his mouth. He's like, "That was you." <laughs> yeah, that was me, dude. <laughs> person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. <laughs>